If you would like to borrow a Bible, would you please raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a Bible. And when you're finished, you can put it in the pew when you are done. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized, then you need to get baptized. Uh, We're going to have baptisms this Friday night on Good Friday. And I know when I announced it last week, there were some of you in here who felt that that tug of conviction to obey, and it is a simple obedience issue. So if you've not been baptized as a believer um, on Friday night, uh, we're going to ba- do baptisms. Come, come see me or Pastor John. We could talk about that. Uh, we have our Good Friday service. We'll do that afterwards. As you know, it's Easter next week, and, and look, we never make a big deal about inviting your friends. Do we, do we ever mention that? I don't know. We should mention that more, don't you think? Like, why don't you invite your friends and neighbors and people at your school next week, all right? How about that? Crazy idea, really radical. Give it a shot. All right, we're going to end the Sermon on the Mount today. So let's turn to Matthew 7. And I, I can't shake this overwhelming, uh, in a sense, burdened feeling that I'm feeling right now, that I've been feeling since all week uh, in thinking about this text, and I am, I'm very overwhelmed right now still in thinking about preaching this to you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we're going to read the text. So let's, let's pray. Lord, these are simply your words and your words alone, and I, I just want to kind of remove myself as much as possible and let your words speak. I, I don't want to be um, too soft. I don't want to be overbearing and too hard. I just I really want your truth to come through and let your powerful Holy Spirit do your work on the people in here. You know their hearts, I don't. So, Lord, now we just ask that you would speak and, and somehow that if we have uh, hard hearts or ears that are clogged or eyes that don't want to see, that you would um, break through with a fresh renovation, move with power through the gospel this morning and do something significant. So, Lord, I remove myself as much as I can and I ask that you would speak with power. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and read this text. Matthew 7, we're going to start in verse 13 and go to the end of the chapter. Listen to the words of Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the d- diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear Good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You may be seated. What a way to end a sermon. He ends by saying, enter the narrow way, but most go down the road of destruction. If you don't bear fruit that's good, then, then cut down and get thrown into the fire. I never knew you. Depart from me. And the house that was built, the life that was built, it fell and great was the fall of it. I mean, Jesus needs to go to seminary and learn how to end a sermon. That's not the way you end a sermon. You do not end on this, this hellfire note. You've got to end with something a little more chipper. You, you just can't do that. And, and you kind of wonder, is, is Jesus trying to scare people into the kingdom? And, and I would say, yes, he is trying to scare you, but not like you think. It's like if I came over to your house and you had this natural gas leak in your house, and, and that's a big problem, but you also had a problem with smell. You can't smell too well. And, and I said, look, man, I smell gas. And you're like, for real? I'm like, for real. And I, and I get out my phone, and let, let's just pretend that I have this natural gas detector app on my phone, which I don't think exists. And I'm like, look, my phone says, if you don't get out, you're going to die or your house is going to blow up. And you wouldn't think that I'm trying to scare you. I'm just speaking the truth. Get out. Or let's just say I'm your doctor, and I come up to you and I say, I say, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you, you've been, you, you have AIDS. You, you, you really do. But, but don't, don't, don't freak out, because if you take this medication, there's a chance that you're going to live, live your days. And you wouldn't say to me, oh, man, you're, you're just trying to scare me. You're just trying to, you wouldn't say that at all. I'm just speaking the truth to you. And, and that's what I think Jesus is doing. He's, he's not trying to scare just to scare. He is speaking the truth to you. And what he wants you to do, he wants you to have a full assessment of your life because his sermon, all the teaching we've been doing over the past few months, actually demands a response. There's a right way to respond to Jesus' teaching, and there is a wrong way to respond to Jesus' teaching. One way is a way of obedience, and another way is a way of disobedience. But there's only two responses. There's only two ways to live, and two alone. And once again, it comes down to the path of life, obedience, or the path of disobedience and destruction. 
And the way that he lays this out is he gives these following four sketches. And maybe you see him there. You see the sketch of the two roads, the two trees, the two disciples, and, and, and the two houses. I want the Holy Spirit to take these words of Jesus and just how they had such a forceful impact upon his original hearers is my prayer that the Holy Spirit would take these words and make them have such a great force upon you today. And he's not just speaking to unbelievers. His message is primarily directed to his disciples. The crowd is overhearing, so of course he's addressing them as well. So this is a word today for every single person in here, whether you are a believer, not a believer, claim to be a believer, or you're a fake believer. I don't know. It's, it's for you today. And a, a, note, of, a note of caution I, I have. I, I, this, is, this is what's so hard about preaching these texts because I, I know some of you and I care for some of you and I love you and I know some of you have such a, a sensitive conscience which is great for compassion and care for others, but sometimes the sensitive conscience you have may cause you to exclude yourself from the kingdom when, in fact, you're following Jesus just fine. So it's, it's, it's my hope today that as these forceful words come out, that, that what will happen is the Lord will guard your heart, affirm that you are a believer while he goes after the hearts of those who think they are believers when, in fact, they are not. That's what we're doing. Let's do it. Start with the two roads. Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So here we have this broad road, and it, it's filled with people living the opposite of what Jesus just taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you notice, it's a path that most take because it says those who enter by it are many. So there's a sense of, of community affirmation in such large numbers. I mean, there's no way that many people could possibly be wrong, right? It's, a, it's huge. There's no way that many people could possibly be wrong. So it's a crowded way, and not only is the road crowded, but if you notice, it says that it's easy. It says, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy. It's easy not to follow Jesus. That's easy. Recall some of his teachings. A little review here from the Sermon on the Mount. Recall some of his teachings. He talks about dealing with your anger and being reconciled. Well, it's much easier not to deal with your anger and be reconciled. He talks about striving for uh, sexual purity. Well, it's much easier not to do that. He talks about maintaining marriage relationships. Well, when it gets hard, it's much easier not to do that. He talks about loving our enemies. Well, that's absolutely hard. It's much easier to judge others. It's much easier to be, just flail ourselves into anxieties and worry. It's, it's much easier easier to pursue greed. It's, it's easier to choose sin. So it's just an easier way on the broad road. This, this past Thursday night, I was with some of you. We were at a concert. We were at a, a, a like a, a, it was a rap concert, all right? It was a Christian rap concert. We weren't like Eminem or anything, but we were, we were at this Christian rap concert with, with, with Lecrae and Tripoli and, and a variety of others. And, and I listened to um, Lecrae a lot. And if you notice some of the songs they were singing, they, they, they rap a lot about fighting sin. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, let's just fight and kill and 
destroy sin. And, and you kind of wonder, why, why are they talking about that so much? Well, you, you see, the circles they run in give great opportunities for sin. It's like, it's probably constantly presenting themselves to them. Like, come on, come back and join the party of sin. And so they're constantly got to be fighting against it, striving against it, because it's a hard road they're on, because the other way is easy. And, and it's the same for all of us. It is, it is easier to go on the broad path, because the broad path is having this huge party. And guess what? Every single one of you are invited you're invited to the party constantly. Anytime that you decide that you want to get off the narrow path and just take a little vacation over to the broad path, the party is going to welcome you. But Jesus is very clear that that party on the wide path that is, that is crowded and, and that is easy is the road to destruction. That means hell. That means the kind of hell that the Bible talks about, the literal conscious torment hell, not the kind of hell you may be hearing in the news today about some hell on earth. We're not talking about hell on earth. We're talking about literal torment. You're, you're, you realize it, and it's for those who are on the crowded, easy, broad path. What about those who want to go on the narrow way? Look at verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, following the way of Jesus, following him is, is narrow. Now, let's just stop. It's not narrow. That people always call Christians narrow. Now, the offer is not narrow. The offer is to anyone. Anyone who wants to come in to repent, to believe, to follow Jesus, the offer is broad, right? It goes out to everybody. We want to tell everybody about Jesus. So the offer is not narrow. But following him on this path where you repent and you put your faith in Jesus, uh, if you notice here, it's not easy. It says that following him on the narrow way is hard. I don't want to see a show of hands, but how many of you are glad that Jesus said it's hard? Have, have any of you experienced walking with Jesus and you're like, this is really hard right now? Does that make you feel better? I mean, I know the Bible talks about the joy we have in the Lord and following him, peace, but it's also hard. Amen? It's hard. I'm glad that Jesus actually said that. Thank you, Jesus, for acknowledging it is hard. And think about all the teachings. It's, it's hard to, to, to be poor in spirit and mourning over our sin. It's, it's hard to maintain sexual purity, to maintain holy relationships. It's hard to love our enemies. It's hard to love other people and not judging them. Yeah, it is hard. And that's probably why that only a few find it. Only a few find this path. Last week, we had a, a church service here on Sunday, and I don't know if you pay attention, but we had several old EBF college students come back. Maybe you, you knew some of them. They, they came back. I guess they, have, they were having some type of reunion of some, some sorts, and they got on the stage right here. Maybe some of you were part of that picture, and you're standing here and smiling for the camera, and you're, yeah, it was great. I was so encouraged to see you all back, but this, this one girl came up to me, and she said, she said, Pastor Jason, isn't it so encouraging to see all these former EBF students still following Jesus? And I'm like, yeah. 
and I went home, and man, I was so pumped up. And man, they're still following Jesus. We must be doing something right. This is this is awesome. Praise God. But but as the, as the week was going on, and I started studying this passage, oh my goodness, thoughts and stories and names and faces of people who have decided not to follow him were just overwhelming me and burdening me. They have left the, the narrow way because it got too hard and they decided to go over to this easy, broad path, this, this great big party, and it's just very burdensome because Jesus is very clear that the, the broad road leads to destruction where following him on the narrow road, though it's hard, it, it leads to life. So there's the concept of two roads explaining the two ways. Well, look at the two trees. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Well, that's, that's interesting. We're to actually make a judgment. We're actually to make a judgment on those who are false prophets. It says that, that's interesting, they, they, said they look like they're believers in sheep's clothing, but they're not. They're actually ravenous wolves. And these false prophets are in-house. They could actually be in our own church. So how can you tell if someone's a false prophet? Well, look at verse 16. Look at them. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or thicks from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit was cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This fruit language. So the heart of a person who's healthy in the Lord, and it's the heart that will produce that, that good fruit. Just like a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Well, in keeping with the character of health, you, if you're a believer, you have that renovated heart by the Holy Spirit, you will produce good fruit. However, like a bad tree, diseased tree produces bad fruit. If you're an, an unbeliever, this unregenerate heart will, will act in disobedience to the commands of God. Now, before we move on to talking about the false prophets here, I want to just say a word on fruit. I just want to be, just be straight up with you and just kind of just have some little self-disclosure here. I like fruit. I like to eat it, yes. Uh, just more self-disclosure. Uh, don't make fun of me, but I eat about four apples a day. You know, if one keeps the doctor away, I don't know what four does. <laughs> I'm not sure what it does. But uh, another uh, thing I want to share with you is, um, this is embarrassing, but I, my staff knows this, my wife knows this, my kids knows this, because they see me eat them all day. But I, I buy and eat used apples. Okay, they're not used, but I call them used because they look terrible. They're the old, discarded apples they sell on really cheap at Aldi, okay? So I buy these cheap, disgusting apples, and I cut off all the bad parts, and I eat the good part. And sometimes, uh, one day, about two months ago, I was eating an apple, not even paying attention, because i got to be careful of the apples I eat. I was eating an apple, and I was just eating mold. I was like, it was all off in my mouth before I even knew that. It was so disgusting. Like, good fruit matters to me. It matters to me. A, a bad, diseased fruit, that, that's, that's, that's gross. And, and so think about this. 
in, in the spiritual realm, I want to make sure you really understand this, spiritually speaking. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But what will happen when, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God will take residence in you and you'll actually produce good fruit. That would be obedience to the commands of God. That would be good works. That's, that's what happens. And now it's not the good works that save you, but it shows that you're a believer if you produce this fruit. And a good scripture that kind of captures this is a scripture that the kids in our church who go to Awana say this scripture every single week, and it captures this concept. Let me put it up for you. It's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And any of the kids that are in here, you can say it out loud if you want to. But it, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I'm glad that the kids in Awana memorize verse 10. You've got to have verse 10 too. Right? It's like, okay, we're saved by grace through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We put our faith in him. God's wrath is poured out on Jesus. He views us as righteous. We're accepted. Now, when the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have been created to produce these good works that God prepared for us to do, this, this fruit that we are to walk in. But here's the catch here. If you're not displaying fruit... You are not saved. I have no problem telling you that. I, I say it to you with, with hopefully compassion and sorrow. But if you're not producing works, if there is no fruit in your life, I don't care if you're in church. I don't care if you did altar call thing. I'm not sure what's going on. But if there's no fruit, then, there, then there's no salvation. And Jesus is very clear. He says that those that don't bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Let me give you this quote by a professor up at Trinity, D.A. Carson. This is a really good quote. He says, it is true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience, of course. But it's equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. So just to put it really bluntly, if there is no life change within you, seen in obedience, then there is no salvation. Your heart is, a, is the diseased fruit tree that produces bad fruit. So there's no fruit, there's no salvation, and there's no salvation. There is ultimate destruction at judgment. So just keep that in mind. We have to, have to think in terms of fruit. Now look at the context once again of why Jesus is talking about fruit. He's talking about false prophets. So how do you guard against false prophets? Well, it's, it's simple. Jesus tells you that you will be able to tell the fruit of a prophet or a pastor or an elder or an ethos community leader or a Campus Crusade Bible study leader or, or of, of inner varsity Bible study leader. He, here's how you can tell if they are a false teacher. You can tell it by their teaching, by their character, and by their behavior. You can have someone who is sound in doctrine but their lifestyle is corrupt. False teacher. Or you may have someone who has this, it doesn't, you know, like you look at their life and you look at their teaching and go, well, they don't seem to have any overt sinful lifestyle, but they're totally lacking in the fruit of the Spirit. There's no love in their lives. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no patience. There's no kindness. There's no goodness. There's no self-control. They're totally lacking in the fruit. 
Or they can, they can be totally be, be like, they look so holy, but their teaching is whacked. False prophet, false teacher. I'm not talking about someone uninformed who needs to go understand the Bible, but I'm not talking about that. I mean, this is like someone who is intentionally crazy out there, even intentionally trying to deceive and this is a strong word, I think, for me and for every teacher, elder, Bible study leader in here. You need to watch your life and your doctrine closely. And for those of you who are being led by us, you need to watch our life and doctrine closely to make sure we're not leading you astray. Be on your guard against these false teachers. Look at the next one, verse 21. Look at the two disciples. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Oh, this, is, this, this has got to be the most disturbing because here's the concept. There's two sets of disciples. One gets in and the other does not. They both think they're going to get in, but the only one that actually gets in is the one, if you notice there, it says, who does the will of of my Father who is in heaven. Those are the ones that get to enter the kingdom. But there are these disciples who say, Lord, Lord, they, they don't get in. They think they're going to get in, but, but they don't. They claim Jesus is Lord, Lord, and they don't get in. That is, that is completely disturbing, is it not? Well, let him continue. He continues, verse 22 and 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Oh, man. So they have these impressive, outward, charismatic powers. And they're, and they're coming along and maybe they're preaching the word. And I have no doubt that they're prophesying. It's may confuse you a little bit, but I don't doubt that it's, it's legit prophecy. And I have no doubt as they are casting out demons, I have no doubt that those are legit exorcisms, right? And these workers of miracles, it's probably healings. I have no doubt that these are legitimate healings. Now, you can debate all day long, you know, those, is that worked by Satan or is it worked by God? I don't know. That's not the point. The point here is that they're doing great works in the name of Jesus, but they're on the road to destruction. And when they die and they meet the Lord, he's going to say, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. <laughs> what? Jesus, I did exorcisms for you. I, I cast out demons. I, I did healing. I, I prophesied. That doesn't matter. What matters, according to Jesus, is do you know him? He says, I never knew you. You workers of law, I never knew you. Get away from me. The issue is, do you know Jesus? It's like if they had a relationship with Jesus, they would have this renovated heart that produces the fruit of the Spirit that lives in this exceeding righteousness that we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. They're not living that. They're the workers of lawlessness. Though they're doing all these great charismatic things, he doesn't know them. And he's cast away. They're cast away from him. 
A similar scripture is one that you may have read in your wedding, which is interesting. This is from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 13. It's in verse 2. It says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So the concept is these, these people can do all these great outward works, but they have no renovated heart that leads to love and obedience. And they don't know Jesus. And they're going to be commanded to depart from him. How is that even possible? How is that possible? I'm, I'm going to try to explain to you how it's possible. Would you not admit that as a believer, you've done some really stupid things? Okay, I have. We all have. We've done stupid things. Dumb, sinful things. And when a believer does dumb things, sinful things, what do we do? We, we want to repent and say, God, forgive me. I'm so foolish. And we ask for forgiveness. We want to strive toward holiness. We, we want to repent, right? We want to walk in righteousness. But it seems that Jesus calls these, these great spiritual workers, he, he calls them workers of lawlessness. So it seems like there is this habitual, unrepenting sin in their life where they're just continuing along with breaking the law of God. And they don't seem to care. There's no fruit. There's no good works. And I think that's why, in the end, they get this, depart from me. I don't know who you are. I don't even know you. And and you'll see this consistently in the Bible where people seem to be interested in Jesus. They seem to do things that kind of look spiritual, but he doesn't know them. Consider the massive crowd that's listening to him in this sermon. Well, look at verse 28. Look at their response. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the crowds, man, they're impressed. They're astonished. He's far superior to their scribes. But being astonished doesn't save you. And and, in a little while, what are are these crowds going to want to do? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. That's, being, being impressed with Jesus doesn't save you. <laughs> Preaching does not save you. Being a worker of miracles doesn't save you. It's do you know Jesus? Do you have this renovated heart that's in a relationship with him that produces this obedient life? And apparently these workers of lawlessness were deceived. And they heard the words, I never knew you. Depart from me. I don't think there's anything in your life, at your death, will be worse to hear than that. Where you are going throughout your whole life thinking that you're saved, thinking that you're walking with Jesus, and yet there's no fruit, there's no works. Even people that know you kind of wonder. They kind of wonder, like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I see you go to church. I see that you're an elder. I see that you're a pastor. But I kind of wonder if you even know Jesus. It seems like the very politically incorrect thing to do in church is ever to question whether someone is saved or not. But wouldn't you rather someone tell you the hard word now than you hear it from Jesus? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Depart from me. I never knew you. Let's finish up. 
two houses. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. It's simple to understand. You've got the focus here on the builders and what they build. They have the, the builder who built this house on the solid rock. <laughs> and it's pointing to the one who actually hears Jesus' words, obeys them in the Sermon on the Mount. And then when this, this, this big waves and crashing and this big storm comes, they're fine. And what is the storm? Well, the storm is, is God's future judgment. And as it came, they were found to be ones who trusted in Jesus. They were the poor in spirit who mourned over their sin, who found salvation in Christ, and they produced this, uh, this fruit by God's grace. And they were the ones who stood firm. But the builder who built his house on the sand, notice that one, is the foolish one. He heard the words of Jesus, didn't do them. And when God's judgment came and they had this disobedient life where there was no faith, no trust in Christ, their house fell with a great crash. Both groups heard, but hearing is not enough. If you do his words, by grace it will lead to life, but if you throw off his words, it leads to destruction and hell. I'm wondering, why would you, why would you want to branch off and try to build your life apart from Christ? I know it's easier, and I know it's, you know, it's more popular because the road is, is broad. And, but I want to say to you, no matter how good your life might look right now apart from Christ, no matter how much fun that you're having, no matter how much money you're making, no matter how free you feel or how good it feels, whatever you're doing, that road will end in destruction, and there will be a great crash of eternal punishment in hell. So why would you want to build your life that way? Why would you want to go in that direction? This past week, I have been having some building done at my house. I've not been building it because I'm a terrible builder. For those of you who know me, I cannot build anything. But I've been having some building done in the form of uh, replacing my kitchen floor. It's really exciting. Um, and the clearing away from the new floor, they had to rip up the old floor. And as they were ripping up the old floor, they found out that they were ripping up the old four floors. And so I thought it would be kind of fun today to show you my old floors. So I have my old floors. My house was built in the 50s. And the first floor was, I think, I think this was this one is this cool retro floor that when they put it in, I'm sure the owners and the builders thought it was quite keen. Yeah, yeah. But then came the late 60s and the early 70s. I'm acting like I know the history of my house. I don't. But then came the late 60s and the early 70s, and they have this 
you can't see it too well, but this is like a disco ball floor. It's got these sparkly, it's groovy, yeah. And the builders, they thought, man, that is just the grooviest floor. But it, that didn't last too long. And this floor I'm going to show you next is actually the floor I think I had in my house growing up. It's kind of like the late 70s, early 80s. And how many remember that floor right there? Yeah. You're like, yeah, I still got that floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's like, that's, that's an awesome floor. It's so awesome. Yeah, and then, then whoever moved in the 90s thought, that's scary. And so they said, we need to tone it down. And they just went, plain. <laughs> We're just going to go with the plain floor, all right? We think that's plain is great. But, but no matter how cool the builders thought their floor was, no matter how cool uh, the owners thought they were building this great floor, this past week in my house, it was ripped up to shreds. I mean, they just Jam that thing out of there. It's stuck. It's glued together. Blah. They're just ripping it. It's dust everywhere. And they stick and they just throw it all in these trash bags and just take it away to the dump heap and blah. So no matter how awesome they thought their floors were, they were destroyed. And no matter how awesome and I think the floor we're putting in is now, they'll never destroy our floor. It's the best ever. One day, some of them come along. And they're going to go, look at that piece of junk floor. And they're going to rip it up. And they're going to destroy it. So the issue is, things may be going good for you now. Things may look great and feel great on the broad road, the party road, the easy road, the crowded road. But in the end, it leads to destruction. The question we have to ask, I think all of us, it's not just for those who don't know Jesus in here, it's all of us. How do you walk the narrow way? How do you have the heart that's renovated that bears good fruit? How do you be the disciple who says, Lord, Lord, and actually knows him? And how do you be the one that's building that solid foundation on Christ? This is not just for how do you start the Christian life, But how do you even continue the Christian life? It's both. So what do you do? You go back to where the sermon started, and Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that's what you do. You realize that you are spiritually bankrupt. You have no resources. You have no righteousness. All you bring to the table is sin. And Jesus says, okay, Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, the brokenness. They hate it. They want to repent, and they look to Jesus in faith. And then we go even further back in Matthew. Matthew one twenty one. What was Mary told? Mary was told this in Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the perfect son of God died on the cross for our sins, and we look to him in repentance and faith and find forgiveness. And in his finished work on the cross, we are clothed in this superior righteousness. We have this renovated heart that now produces fruit and good works and obedience. And it's not just how we get into the narrow road, but it's how we process our journey on the narrow road constantly by coming back to Christ, poor in spirit, 
mourning over our sins, asking God for power to obey. So the way we start in the gospel on the narrow road is the way we continue in the gospel on the narrow road. There are really only two ways to live. No other options. It's the way of life or the way of destruction. And may the Lord Jesus Christ just reveal to you the beautiful path, the hard path, the glorious path of following him on the way of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would compel all of us with your love to follow you on the narrow way. For those in here who have never started walking this narrow path, may they repent and walk and be broken and poor in spirit now, mourn over their sin. For those of us who have been so distracted recently, bring us back uh, to the brokenness of spirit, poor in spirit, mourning over our sins. And each day, Lord, may we follow you on this gospel path, this good news centered on you. Lord, we, we are hopeless without you. We look to you in faith for this continuing, continuing inside-out renovation of our hearts. And Lord, we do not want to go down. We do not want to deceive ourselves down the road of destruction. If there's anybody in here right now who is calling Jesus Lord, Lord, and yet they are a worker of lawlessness, and they are going to hear the words depart from me unless they repent and put their faith in you for real. I just ask that you would awaken them right now. I don't know who they are. I don't know if it's a guy or a girl. I don't know if it's 10, 20, 30, or, or just one. I don't know, Lord. I just ask by your spirit, do that work on their hearts. Bring them to you now. And Lord, just keep us walking with you. Walking together on this path of this, this narrow way that leads to life. And may we obey you by your strength and by your power today and every day until we meet you. In Christ's name, amen.